Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for teaching us by your truth each week. We ask that your spirit who lives in us will take these words and uh, open our minds and hearts with them. Uh, Lord, help us to focus well on what you teach us. And Lord, we ask that you'll make us more like your son through this time in your truth. Uh, Be with us all now. In Jesus' name, amen. If I asked you if you know me, Burn Merchant, what would you say? Do you know me? Well, some of you here would probably answer that, of course you do, since I'm one of the ministers at this church. You see me speak and teach and preach. You see me do all different kinds of ministry, so you know me. Uh, Some of you might add that you've known me for a very long time, especially if we go back to my early days at this church. Can you believe that was 2002 now? It's a long time ago. But some of you might say, well, you know, I... You know, I know you because of that. Uh, Some of you might say that we are friends on Facebook. And so you see the sort of things that I post about, the sort of things that I like. Uh, Maybe you've been in a growth group with me. And so uh, you know what I share a bit personally. You know my joys. You know my challenges. You know my personal views on things. It's another way of knowing me. But what if you ask my wife, Allison, if she knows me? Her answer would be different, wouldn't it? Sorry, Alison, I didn't give you a warning that you and the family are in another sermon once again. Um, But not only does she know me in ministry, uh, but she knows me warts and all. Uh, She knows my struggles and my sins. She knows my hopes for the future. She knows my strengths and appreciates things about me that only she can see. She knows about my past and the way that I grew up. And we've shared marriage and the birth and raising of three children and ministry in three churches in four different homes. She knows me in a way that nobody else in this world does. And my point is that we know people in different ways, don't we? We can know someone, but then we can know someone. Isn't that how it works? There's a general knowing, which can be very good. You can generally know someone, really appreciate them. But there's a very deep knowing as well. You know, where you know someone on a relational level that's rich and personal. And so my second question then as we move into Psalm 63 today is, do you know God? Do you know God? Now, of course, this is different from just knowing another human being because God is way beyond us as well. But the principle still stands. We can either know just things about God or we can know him more fully. See, he he invites us to know him in that deeper and relational way where we appreciate him for who he is as he walks with us. So do we actually know God in this more rich and intimate way? Psalm 63 is actually a picture of this sort of thing in action. Our heading says that it's a psalm of King David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, most people agree that this was when David's son Absalom tried to take over the throne. It was sort of a revolution. And so David, well, he ran for his life. And it's in this place of wilderness and need where we see the sort of relationship that he has with God. And through this, we learn the kind of things or some things about what it means to know God personally and deeply. So look at how David begins. I'll have the verses on screen, but feel free to look along in your Bibles. He begins, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you 
in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Here we see that God is not only who we truly need, but that he also satisfies the most deeply. God is our greatest need and our greatest satisfaction. Now we're going to spend most of our time today on this first uh, point, uh, but notice what's happening here. David is in a literal desert, a dry and weary land where there's no water, as he says. He's on the run. He is hungry. He is tired. He is thirsty. And yet he says his true thirst is for God. My soul thirsts for you, he says. This is an intense need. He's earnestly seeking. His body is longing. In a time of desperation, David is looking to his best relationship. Oh God, you are my God, he begins. I need you. I need you right now. This is amazing, actually, when we think about it, because so often our prayer at these times will be something like, oh God, just get me out of this mess. Just get me out. Now, David also prayed this sort of thing, and we If you glance across other psalms, you'll see that kind of language as well. But look at what's at the core of his need here. It's not what God could do for him, but it's God himself. Do you know that your greatest need is for God? And by that I don't mean just the salvation that God brings through Jesus, as critical as that is. I don't mean the many blessings that he loves to pour out on us. Our greatest need is God himself. To know him, to enjoy him, to be in a relationship with him. Whatever physical or spiritual or emotional needs that you may have right now, and while those are very important, our deepest need is to be united with our creator. That's the deepest need of every human being. And so maybe this is something we can add to our prayers for this year. For God to grow our desire for him. For us to recognize this foundational need. And for it not to get lost among all the other needs that we have. But as we read on, we see that David's soul thirsting is satisfied. The thirst is quenched. Looking at at verse 3, he says, Because your love is better than life, I'll glorify you, I'll praise you, I'll lift up my hands. And so he says in verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Every time I read verse 3, I can't help but think of a song from the early 90s by Canadian singer Sarah McLaughlin. The song is called Ice Cream, and it goes like this. She sings, your love is better than ice cream, better than anything else that I've tried. And then later in the song, she changes and she says, your love is better than chocolate. You know, do you see how it works, what she's doing? She's thinking of things sweet and wonderful and delicious, but she knows that the love of this particular person is even better, even more desirable, even more wonderful. That's what David is doing here. He's in a desperate situation, but he can say that being in a relationship with God brings a richness that goes beyond what he's facing. How can he say such things? Well, look at verse 2 with me, please. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. David has experienced God. 
He knows God's promises. He knows how God works. He's been part of the temple, part of the worship story at the temple. He has reflected on God's ongoing goodness towards his people. So David has both seen and he has tasted God's love. See, the word for love here, in verse 3, it's actually a very specific kind of love. It can also be written as steadfast love. It's a kind of love that is committed and is sacrificial It means covenantal love that doesn't give up. And it has compassion and grace bound up in it as well. David is saying that he can delight in God while in this desperate situation because he knows the kind of love that God has for him. The kind of love that never forgets him. The kind of love that will always walk alongside him. And David knows that even if Absalom or the harshness of the desert takes his life, a God of covenantal love will be waiting for him. See, this is how a person who knows God can live. There can be a delight in God himself, however life is going, and it comes from trusting in his love. This is how Jesus lived. In all the pressures of his ministry, what did he do? He withdrew to spend time with his father in prayer. And even when he faced his most horrific wilderness, as he prepared to go to the cross, Even then, he could cling to the Father and say, your will be done. He kept living a trust-filled, loving relationship with his Father. What about you and me? What about when we're in a wilderness? Now, I don't mean a literal desert as we have here, but, but those times of intense need. The psalm reminds us of who we should be thirsty for and the satisfaction that can only be found in him. But isn't this also what Jesus promises? Doesn't he say that he quenches the deepest of thirst? In John chapter 4, he says to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water, meaning the literal water at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Maybe you're beginning 2018 feeling a bit parched already. Maybe there are already very deep needs competing for top place in your life. Or maybe Jesus has been the well you've been sipping from for years. Either way, to know God's specific love for you is a satisfaction. It's a refreshing answer in times of deep need. See, on this side of history... We don't have to look to the sanctuary at the temple to see God's power and glory. We look to the cross because it's there that God shows that he has loved us sacrificially. Those of us who who trust in him have been brought into an eternal relationship. We have been blessed. We have tasted compassion and grace. We will never be abandoned or forgotten. And our deepest need of being in a relationship with our creator has been taken care of by Jesus. Do you ever get that thirst for God? I know I do. And you know, sometimes it's in the craziness of life, and sadly, that's often when I haven't been focusing on him the way that I should. That's when God calls to me. See, he wants us to rest in his love. He wants us to be satisfied in him. So when we stop and open his word and we reflect on his love towards us in Christ, we gain an understanding and a a hope uh, that we can never get on our own because God's love is better. 
So part of knowing God means to know him as our greatest need, to know him as our greatest uh, satisfaction. Uh, but Psalm 63 also tells us that we can know God as the safest place as well. God is the safest place. Uh, let's read on from verse 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now again, we need to remember the story here. The backstory to what's happening. The watches of the night are about people keeping guard while the rest of the camp are asleep. But David is anxious. I mean, there's... You know, his son is, is out to get him and kill him. He is anxious. He's on the run. He's not sleeping. He's tossing and turning. He is still awake as the watches change throughout the night. And so let me share with you a story then of another David. This is David Paulison. He's a popular author and Christian counselor. Uh, in one of his books, that's the cover there on the screen, he tells a story of how uh, a lot of traveling at one point in his ministry, it really upset his body clock. He ended up not being able to sleep very well. But instead of turning over all of his anxieties in his mind when he was awake in the middle of the night, he chewed over God's word. This is what he writes. He says, night after night, I remembered, thought, prayed, trusted loved and delighted, and sometimes slept. And then later in life, he goes on to say, sleeplessness came again, this time because of a very serious illness. He went back to the same habit. And I love what he writes here. He says, but in the darkness, I was loved by God, and I loved him in return. Imagine, in sleeplessness, you are my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, the heart that rests in the steadfast love of God can know a security and peace even amidst troubles. The promise for the believer is that we can place our worries and our, and our hardships at the feet of Jesus, and he will minister to us and not turn us away. There is a relationship that is bigger than our fears and concerns. Listen again to how King David puts it. He says, because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. See, he knows that God is his security. God is his resting place. The image here is a young chick uh, held safe by the mother bird. So the soul that had thirsted, the soul that was satisfied, is now clinging to God because God holds on to him. I believe this is something that every single one of us can learn to do more. I know I could. For some of us, it might literally mean during bouts of insomnia, when we can't sleep because of our worries, we'll do this sort of thing. Uh, for others of us, it'll be in other times of, of wilderness, you know, when life is tough and overwhelming. But we can, in the strength of Christ, make a choice to not only linger on those things, but to also cast our minds on God's love, God's truth, and his promises in his word and what he has done for us in Jesus. And if this psalm tells us that this sort of thing is possible because of our relationship with God, then let's also personalize what we remember about him. So we don't just say, oh, I believe that God is a loving God, but my God loves me. It's not just that the believer has access to God through the risen Jesus, but that my Savior has died for me. He has opened a way for me to run to my Father when I need him the most. 
You see what's happening in this psalm? This is an intensely personal picture of God's love. A heart that could so easily be overthrown by anxiety is renewed by the presence and reminder of God himself. And so this is another way that we can truly know God. We deliberately cast our mind on him and his steadfast love towards us. But there's one more part of knowing God that's on view here. And again, it brings understanding, it brings rest when times are tough. Part of knowing God is resting in him as the one who rights every wrong. The one who rights every wrong. So look at verses 9 and 10. David writes, They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. David knows that God is the one who ultimately will deal with enemies. They may seem overwhelming now, but God will have the last word when they're destroyed, when they're defeated. And David goes on to say then, but the king, and that's himself, King David, the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Those who are against David in this difficult time, those who are lying about him, God will silence them. See, that's another part of God's covenant of love. He's the protector. He's the one who defeats evil. Uh, For us, uh, we know this as Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Uh, The cross is God's statement that no enemy of his will ultimately stand. Or we could think about 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. To say all of this another way, we don't always win in this life. Now, while we want to strive and fight against evil and we want to defend those who are being oppressed, uh, we want to always strive for what's good, yes, all of that is true, we can also expect that there will be times when others will get the upper hand. And we don't have to right every single wrong. There are things we can choose to let go. Because God vindicates, see, he will have the last word. This psalm ends by saying that the mouths of the liars, those speaking poorly of David, will be silenced. A time will come, whether that's in this life or the next, when all who oppose God or oppose his people will have nothing left to say. God will have the final word. And that is a comfort when others are against us, when the wilderness has that sort of shape. To know God is to be able to rest in him as the one who rights every wrong. Injustices will not be forgotten by him. He will not overlook that sort of thing. People will give an account. So God's covenant of love for us, it includes a judging and a stopping of evil. So with all these great things about God on view in Psalm 63, let me ask, do you know him like this? Is he your God, the way David describes him here? He's inviting us to rest in him as the one we need, as the one who satisfies, as the one who is the safest place, and the one who ultimately rights every wrong. His love is better because it fills us, it protects us, it vindicates us. And so it's no wonder then 
that there's one other thread running all through this psalm. I wonder if you noticed it. Let me put it like this. If you see a good movie, don't you tell others that they should go and see it too? Or you loan them the DVD? Or if you hear good music, don't you recommend it? Or you have a fantastic meal at a nice restaurant, you say, hey, you know, you, you should make a booking and go and eat there. When something impacts us like that or impacts us for good, we want to point it out to others and share with others. We want them to experience the same thing. We want to declare the sort of things that we, we rejoice in and have really benefited from, the things that we love. And at each point in this sermon, David did exactly that. He praised God. He declared out loud what was so good about him. See that expression of the relationship that's happening all through this psalm? He knew God's love, and that led to singing lips of praise, it says in the first section. And then under the protection of God's wing, what was he doing? He sang. And at the end, while the enemies are silent, to see how those voices completely drop out. It's God's king who rejoices, and all who swear by God are the ones full of praise. So let me say that this sort of thing is one marker of whether we are in that great relationship with God of fully knowing him. Now it will look differently in everyone's life. Um, But does it lead, for example, to praise and adoration? Or simply talking about God, being happy to talk about him, or, or loving to sing about him at church? This is the foundation of good evangelism. Not just telling the facts that Jesus died for sin, but that we know a personally a loving Savior who died for us. This is the foundation of us growing as followers of Jesus. It's not about discipleship as a 10-step program, but growing in our relationship with the one we love and delight in. This is the foundation of an attractive and meaningful church because people who know God like this are living something way better than religion. Way better. Friends, will you be committed to growing in your relationship with God himself in 2018? Like David, will you gladly rejoice in the one who even in dark times can satisfy and fill you and protect and vindicate you? Let's start our year together knowing that God's love is better. Pray with me, please. Father, we stop and we marvel at your love for us that you would take sinful people pour out your sacrificial love in sending jesus keep pouring out your grace and compassion on us our lord so often we look to so many things to fill us and we thank you for the good things you give us but help us to see and know you as our deepest need and to be satisfied by you Lord, give us hearts and lips and minds that praise you naturally because of who you are and what you've done Lord, please help us to be people who are are less anxious because we are bathing in the love you pour out on us, the protection that you have. Lord, help us to not feel despair at the evil that's around us, but to know that you vindicate. Lord, we ask that you will grow us in our relationship with Jesus so that the way we speak about you reflects the way David speaks about you here. We ask that in your kindness and love towards us, you will do this for us across the whole church, Lord. And may each one of us, please, by your doing, have a deeper relationship with you across all of 2018. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.